don't matter what your name is Share your story, we'll be waiting Call, uh, uh, yeah For the haters, <laughs> All right, um <laughs> What's up, everybody, and welcome back to For the Haters podcast. Uh, today we have a special guest, but before we introduce him, for those of you new here, my name is Becky. I am the host, and then we also have Laura, who's our co-founder and writer. Laura, hello, hello. <laughs> um, welcome back, everyone, and we have a special guest today, Josh. <laughs> What's up, everyone? Um, we're really excited to have you here, and um, you. I'm really excited to you know, jump into the conversation. Uh, so if you could kind of just tell us a little bit about yourself, current self. Okay. I, I would like to say self. your current self, what you do. Okay. Uh, my name is Josh Axe. Um, I currently live in Pennsylvania, Northeastern PA represent. Um, <laughs> we're hailing out of Kingston right now, which is an awesome little town. And currently I'm a real estate investor. So it's my full-time gig. Um, I have a flipping business where we flip houses past 18 months we've probably done about 30 and we also have a rental business that we use the profits from the flips to buy rentals and we have about 52 rental units so pretty big portfolio and and you came from just you know real estate in general before that so before that I was a real estate agent and um, I had lived in Phoenix and that's where I got my real estate license I started in property management and you know, I really saw the value of, you know, my job as a working for the property management company was working with investors to sign up for our services. So I realized that these guys were collecting rent, the managers were managing the property, and they were just getting paid. I'm like, that's brilliant. You know, (laughs) and they would tell me what the numbers were, because I would have to tell them what it would rent for. Mm -hmm. So I'd, you know, they'd say, oh, well, what's this going to rent for? You know, my mortgage and taxes and insurance are $600. And I'm like, well, you're going to make $1,200 a month in rent. They're like, great. So I make 600 bucks after fees and stuff. And I'm just like, geez, if I had 10 rentals, yeah, I could make six grand a month. How the heck do I do that? Yeah. Right. So then that's when the wheel started turning towards real estate investing as opposed to being an agent. So I did really well with that company and was signing up a ton of owners and <clears throat> they ch- changed their commission structure to where it wasn't as beneficial for me. So I started looking around and my wife's cousin was working for a different management company. So, you know, I started that conversation and um, the owner of that company said, oh, well, you know, if you do as well as you do there, we'll pay you 10 grand a month. I'm like, oh, great, you know, let's do it. So um, moved to that company and they weren't doing the same type of advertising. They weren't doing, you know, they weren't running the same type of business. So the success wasn't as easy as I thought it would be, which, you know, life lesson there. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, you know, one day the property manager comes walking down the hall and he's like, Hey, do you know how to sell a house? I'm like, (laughs) yep. (laughs) And I had never sold a house before. (laughs) Right. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Just say something with conviction. Yeah. Yeah. So, Anyways, he's like, all right, cool. This owner wants to sell. Give him a call. So I give this guy a call and I don't know what the hell I'm doing, but um, end up getting the listing. I figure it out. I mean, you can learn anything online, Mm -hmm. including how to sell a house. So I figure it out, get the paperwork signed, have the broker review it. He says it looks good. So I don't know. (laughs) Sure. So I end up selling it and I made like four or five grand just like that. And I'm like, this is incredible. How do I do that? 20 more times, 100 more times, whatever. Mm Mm-hmm. So 
you know, started selling a lot of houses in Phoenix, moved to northeastern PA, where, you know, Phoenix, your median home price is 200000 right? So 6% of that, you get 3%, whatever. So you make six grand. Well, here, the median house price in Kingston, for example, is a hundred grand. So it's, you immediately make half as much money, you know, based on the number of um, home sales that you can do. But also, um, I, I came into it in this market where I was thinking, this is going to be so easy because when we moved, no one would return my phone calls. And I'm like, I am a communication expert. Like, I got this figured out. Yeah. But the way that real estate brokerages are structured here is completely different where they, um, they get a large portion of your commission when you sell a property. So they would eat up a lot of that money. So, you know, I tell people when you're selling a $50,000 house, you only get 3% of that, right? So 1500 and then you give your broker 30%, you're taking home 1050. Then you have self-employment tax, you have health insurance, you have all this stuff. I'm like, man, I'm not making any money. I can't do that, you know, because Lauren was going to school. So started looking again at real estate investing. And at the time I had met my business partner, who's one of our really good friends, and his wife went to school with Lauren. So we went for dinner, and um, a couple months later we started a company together. Didn't really know what we were going to do with it, but figured, okay, we'll do real estate investing to some capacity. And... Um, we ended up finding this uh, rental property that was a 35 unit complex. So we're like, oh, I'll send him a letter, you know, like <laughs> see if he wants to sell. So we did. And he responded. This guy lived in Mexico, right? So we're like, that's cool. You know, he's just collecting rent, whatever. But then we started like diving into the books and there was a lot of issues with their management, right? And I had a history of property management. So I saw all of these errors and my business partner did as well. So, you know, we're going through negotiation. We're seeing that his tenants are paying cash. They're paying literally every week. So it was just so mismanaged mm -hmm. that we're like, okay, this could be a really great opportunity. So as we continue to go through it, um, we got really creative during the negotiations because we knew that the building likely wouldn't appraise for what we were under contract for, which was like, 1.3 million or 1.35, something around there. So we're going through this with him and we say, well, we'll buy the building, but we're afraid it's not going to appraise. So can you do seller financing, which is where the seller essentially becomes the bank for us. So we don't have to come out of pocket with any money, but we can still buy the building, mm -hmm. which eliminates the need for an appraisal, right? So we structured a way he was taking home about $6,000 per month. We knew that. And he lived in Mexico, so he didn't deal with any of the management. He had a property manager, blah, blah, blah. So we figured out a way for him to get paid like, it was actually like $7,000 a month through him carrying the mortgage. So he became the bank for us. So ended up getting this deal and it was phenomenal, right? So we increased the rents. We you know, started billing back some of the utilities. We started renovating all the units, putting all the cash flow that we were getting from the building back into rehabbing it. So we did all this stuff and <clears throat> it's actually really cool how the value of commercial real estate is calculated because it's based on the net operating income. So however much money after your taxes, insurance, everything, 
whatever is left, that's your net operating income. And it's, it's, there's a multiplying effect. So in Kingston, it was a eight cap, right? So an 8% cap market. <clears throat> that's how they factor what the prices of buildings are going for, because that's the trading rate, right? So for example, we made a phone call the day that we bought that building and we cut the insurance from $16,000 per year to $8,000 per year. So our NOI increased $8,000. Well, since it's an eight cap, that increased the value of the building $100,000 in a five minute phone call. So that's what's really cool, right? So everything that you do in, in that type of real estate increases the value significantly. Hmm. So. That's crazy. The long, yeah. wrong line of work. <laughs> yeah. So um, it's really cool. And, you know, I only know this because, like, literally I spent years. And Lauren, my wife, can attest to this. Every single day I was listening to podcasts about real estate. Every single day I was reading books about real estate. Like, I completely, it consumed me. Mm -hmm. Because I knew that, man, there's so much potential in this. So I just, I dived in and, you know, the rest is history. So sorry, that's a long answer no. for the quick version of <laughs> it's who it's, I am now. It's funny because um, I was listening to a podcast and real estate has always been something that like, you know, triggers my mind and thought process. Mm -hmm. um, but I was listening to a podcast that Grant Cardone was yep. a guest mm -hmm. on. And that dude's incredible. <laughs> insane. He's yeah. insane. And, you know, he was saying, he was talking about how his father died when he was young. He was mm -hmm. like 13. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about how the biggest mistake that that generation did and the current generations think they have to do is buy a home for their family. Right. And he talks about, you know, how his dad had passed away and all of his money was in this house that they couldn't no longer afford because he wasn't making income. And he's like, and he left us with nothing. Right. And which was why he got into real estate. So when he passes away, he has residual income that's constantly flowing into right. into his family. Yeah. Um, he was like talking about how his first investment was like five grand or something. And right. he's like one of the biggest real estate yeah. people in the world. And he was, um, he also talked about how, uh, you know, it's inevitable that the economy is going to crash. Right. Um, and he's like, and when that crashes, people still need to live somewhere. So mm -hmm. he buys like all ec economically friendly housing right. that yep. he's like, they're going to have to live somewhere. They're going to have to rent it. He's yep. like, my business isn't going anywhere. Exactly. And so after that, I remember coming home and being like, let's go. Let's, <laughs> like, let's look up a multifamily house. Like what? Right. And he also talked about how dumb people are to save money. He was right. like, if you don't have enough money to invest in real estate, invest in yourself until you have enough money to invest into real estate. Right. He's like, don't let money sit there. He's like, you know, invest into something that's going to make you money. Right. But yeah, and that was a long rant too. <laughs> but but real estate like <laughs> gets me really excited because right. like his so for anyone listening, he has a phenomenal book called the 10 X rule. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't re read it, yet, I haven't, I, I bought like a smaller version of it. I have it actually, but like I haven't read it. Rule? No, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's like a, it's like a, sh it, you, he like, I follow him and he was doing some promo, like, mm -hmm. uh, basically like a spark notes of it. He would send you for free. Oh, nice. So yeah. it's a great book. You know, it, uh, it really changes your, your perspective of what you need to do to be successful. Mm -hmm. And 
it's, it's had a huge impact in my personal life and in my business. Does it lend sure. itself to any career or is it specific any career. to? Okay. Yeah. So he talks about like how to be successful in any industry, essentially. And a lot of what he teaches is like, so he made a lot of his money from sales training, which if you're not aware, everything in life requires sales, mm -hmm. right? When you're going to the, you know, the grocery store, you're either selling or you're being sold, right? And so he has a bunch of different books that talk about that, which those skills are applicable in any line and, of work, yeah. you know? So You have to sell yourself. Exactly. Not in like a prostitute way, but. Yeah. <laughs> um, so now it's this is very different than most beginnings of our podcast. Um, but the reason that we wanted to start with this and because it kind of speaks to how successful you have become um, and you're 29, 29, 29 mm -hmm. yep. uh, and fairly young. I mean, to <laughs> fairly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's people in this room that, that are in their <laughs> early 20s. So, I mean, in hindsight, what do you mean? What are you making fun of me for? Because he is young? Yes. Uh, I think we're all, we're all 28, yeah. 29. I think, I think yeah. we're very young. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, we're still in like, we're still in the first inning, you know? Well, maybe like second <laughs> or third, but we're... So you're young. Right. Um, you're very successful. Thank you. And, um, you know, it wasn't always, this wasn't always the path that, you were going down right um this wasn't the life that you had been creating for yourself and you know you had a lot of things that you had to overcome mm -hmm. um so i guess to jump into the beginning mm -hmm. if you want to kind of talk about your childhood and then yep. le and leading up to that for sure so um i was born in salt lake city uh grew up in west valley city which is kind of like the armpit southwest of salt lake city so kind of a rougher part of town it wasn't bad, you know, but there were like my group of friends made the neighborhood kind of bad, you know, like we just did stupid crap all the time and got into a bunch of stuff we shouldn't have. Um, so, you know, I uh, when I was in high school, you know, it's kind of a critical moment in every young adult's life. I uh, my parents got divorced. I had just broken up with a girlfriend who I, you know, thought, thought was the gonna, one. Yeah. yeah, you know, like you're just that's that naivete you know so um that happened and it was kind of a moment where my best friend at the time had been smoking weed but keeping it from me because I was always really against it so after that you know that kind of turmoil I was really hurting and he's like well do you want to come try this and I'm like why not like all the stuff that I thought was supposed to be happening in my life all of a sudden came crashing down. So I'm like, okay, well, I can break this truth that I had with myself. Mm -hmm. So I did and I loved it, right? Like I just felt like, man, this is so cool. I feel so good. And um, it really like, it just, it consumed me, you know, like I have an addictive personality. And so to get away from that hurt that I was feeling and that turmoil I was feeling, it was a easy escape, right? Mm -hmm. Because you go and you smoke a bowl, all of a sudden you feel great again and you don't have to deal with the anguish that you're going through. So, you know, that's a really slippery slope because you never really face it. And so what happened, um, you know, I've always had kind of a business mind. I, you know, in high school, I went to all these business classes and accounting and, you know, did really well. And, I realized pretty quick after starting to smoke weed, I'm like, I need money to do this. It's not free, right? <laughs> so I'm like, okay, well, 
if I, if I buy a quarter of an ounce and I sell, I don't know, it's been so long. What would that There's be? 26 grams in an yeah, ounce. Yeah, so, so if I sell four half-eighths or whatever, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if, if I sell four half-eighths, I'll get to smoke for free or whatever, mm-hmm. like whatever the math was. So, you know, I realized that. And so I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to sell enough to, so that I can smoke for free because, you know, I'm a broke young high school kid. I don't have money. It's fascinating that that's the way, even then, how your mind worked always, with that. Always, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, and it was a bad thing, right? So yeah. at the time, <laughs> it was a terrible thing. So, you know, and I had, I was just so stupid. Like when I look back at some of the stuff I did, I'm like, wow, how are you not like in prison? Because like I would bring weed to school and my goal would be to make $100 before lunch. Because I'd be selling bags in class. That's incredibly ambitious. It's stupid, though. Yeah, it's like, so dumb. Yeah. But like, it's so. It's like. <laughs> but like, you kind of have to commend him for having. I mean, the, how old were you? you know? What, 16, 15, 16? Yeah. I mean, I mean, what were you what? thinking about at fifteen? Because I wasn't thinking about, you know, monetizing. Well, the reason I wanted money was so that I could buy Taco Bell. Like, it was just <laughs> the reasoning was it didn't make sense, right? And so, you know, I. I was connecting with a lot of different people because Mm -hmm. you connect with dealers, you connect with buyers, you know, you connect with their older brothers, you connect with their connects, you know, and like I started like working my way up because I was selling all this stuff. And one of the people that I was selling to was like, hey, have you ever tried shrooms? And, you know, then it was, have you ever tried ecstasy? Oh, have you ever tried this? Have you ever tried that? So, you know, me and my group of friends started introducing all these other things and it was still that escape, right? So I was still running away from these issues that I had with self-worth, with, you know, whatever, like you just deal with these things that you're not aware of. But at this point, it's becoming more and more dangerous. It's becoming a lot more dangerous, right? right? So, you know, and keep in mind, I have three younger brothers, right? And I'm living with my mom at this point. So my brother under me, my, the next oldest, um, he would sneak into my room and steal stuff. Right. So he would steal weed. He would steal shrooms. And like I caught him shroomed out of his mind when he was like 14 or 13, like terrible. And I didn't handle the situation well at all because I was pissed that he took it. Mm -hmm. So I like tortured the poor kid, you know, like it was awful. It had to have been the most traumatic experience of his life, you know, like (laughs) just terrible. And so like, you know, I look back at some of these things. I'm like, man, I wish I could go back to that moment and like handle it different. Mm -hmm. But you can't, you know, and so it also helps further that addiction, right? So I just kept going down this this pathway. And um, I had always really liked rollerblading. So th- I, I didn't mention this any time before, <laughs> but I used to love rollerblading. So I'd like grind down the handrails and, you know, I was an aggressive yes. rollerblader or whatever. So I thought I was hot shit. So... You get hurt when you do that. So you're the first person that has cursed and hasn't automatically asked, "Can we curse mm-hmm. on this podcast?" Oh, you really? can, but okay. like, but he, <laughs> he said, he said crap earlier, and I was like, "Oh, he's like PGing this yeah. whole experience." Well, you yeah. said great. Every single person, the first curse word that I'm comes getting more out. comfortable. Good, yeah, good. yeah. Good. yes, <laughs> please. It was just, it was funny. Yeah. But keep going, you're yeah. rollerblading. So I had broken my arms. You're have a sip yeah, sorry. <laughs> I'm talking so much. So. I had broken my arms multiple times. Mm-hmm. So I was familiar with painkillers from a pretty young age. And it, at the time, it was never, the connection wasn't there. It wasn't, you know, I had a pain, I took this, and it made it feel better. 
so then as I was continuing down my my destructive path, someone said, oh, do you want to buy some Percocets? And I knew the name from when I had broken my my arms. So I'm like, okay, sure, like whatever. So I bought some and tried them and I thought, I feel freaking awesome, right? Because the way that it acts on your brain, it just releases instant dopamine and you just feel fantastic right Mm -hmm. so that's why we have an opioid crisis is because it's very effective at making you feel pleasure so that really started me down a scary path um, for a lot of different reasons and one of them was you know at the time I had a job I was still selling drugs and I started was that your job or no, so I, I worked at a, well. okay. yeah, I worked at a roller skating <laughs> rink making five fifteen an hour. And I thought, man, this is the life. Yeah. I get to do what I love. You know, I was a DJ too, you know, like, uh, you know, the, <laughs> while the guys, you were de- while you were blading. Well, no. So, well, partially. No, I, so I would, did you ever go to like rollerblading rinks when you were younger? Yeah. yeah a couple times. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. They have DJs up in the corner. Yeah, oh, so, okay. 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 So like when it wasn't like the main DJ, I would be the guy <laughs> that was playing the stuff, you know, and we'd like rent skates and stuff. So yeah. that, that was my job. So while doing that, you know, I uh, was getting further into this career of drug use, right? And it it was... Um, and how old are you at this point? Probably 16. So I was probably 16 and a half, roughly, when I got introduced to OxyContin. So the people who had introduced me to the Percocet say, you know, oh, I have something that's a little more powerful. It'll make you feel great. And the only reason I tried it was because when I went to go buy, I don't know, like at the time I was buying like a half of a pound in like a week. And mm-hmm. the guy's like, hey, man, try this. So, you know, you sniff it. And I did. And I felt incredible. And I, I actually threw up mm-hmm. because I like did too much. But I still felt really good. And so I was like, OK, like I like the way that this makes me feel because it really quiets those demons, you know, that are in, in your mind. So that's when things really got bad because, you know, the cost of an Oxycontin was like a dollar per milligram, Mm -hmm. which is an 80 milligram pill is $80 for one pill. Right. And like that could last you a day. So, you know, I had money, but I spent it all and you spend it all really quick. Like Mm -hmm. $80 a day adds up really fast. So then you start changing some of the things that you do. So like I would get drugs from people and instead of paying them back or buying more drugs, I would use that money to buy Oxycontin. So, you know, you all of a sudden spend your, your source of income and then you're like, well, shit, I still want to use drugs. And so what I would do is I would say, Hey man, if you front me a quarter pound, which is like a thousand bucks, I'll pay you back. You know, I'm, I'm having a rough time right now. If you front it to me, I'll pay you. So then I would get the weed, I would sell it, but then I would use all the money for drugs. So you do that enough times and you piss off drug dealers. Right. Yeah. They're not very happy with you. Right. So at one point, a few guys broke into my house and I was home by myself and I got jumped in my bedroom, in my underwear, which was really embarrassing. It wasn't like really bad, but yeah. like... I, it sent a clear sign that like, okay, I'm headed down a path that's really terrible. Mm -hmm. But as an addict, it doesn't really, you know, your brain doesn't operate that way because Mm -hmm. you're, all you're thinking about is that next fix. Right. And 
I want to take a minute to talk about that because as someone who's experienced that, I understand that drugs um, start to not become a choice because the way that your brain works is it releases dopamine every time that you use opioids and alcohol too, actually, for people who are listening. So it releases this dopamine and the dopamine is the same signal that your brain sends when you have sex, when you eat food and when you find shelter, right? So those are three instinctual needs that we have as humans. And that's the same release that an opioid gives you. So that's why people who are drug addicts will be homeless. That's why they won't eat because their primary focus is getting this dopamine release. Mm. So, you know, I, I ex- know yeah, yeah, so I explain that to people because it really becomes the dominating factor in your life. So back to the story, I, I had just gotten beat up and I was in this terrible spot and I went and hung out with one of my friends who um, I had used Oxycontin with in the past. He's like, hey, I have something else. Let's give it a try. So he pulls out black tar heroin and that was the first time that I shot up and the cost of black tar heroin was like a quarter of the price for Oxycontin. So economically, it's the better option, but at the same time, it makes you do terrible things because all you need is 10 bucks or 20 bucks or whatever. So then you start like pawning off your parents' things because all you need is 10 bucks, right? So like you just start doing terrible things. Um, selling my little brother's Nintendo DS that he got for Christmas, you know, like just really awful, awful, terrible things that like traumatizes me when I think about, because Mm -hmm. it's like, I was the worst brother. And now when my brothers struggle, I'm like, if I had been better, would they be better? Mm -hmm. You know? So it's like, um, how old were you at this point when, when it, I was still transitioned into heroin. I was probably 18. I mean, I was still really young. Like this all happened really fast. Like I, I graduated from Percocets to Oxy to heroin probably within 18 months to two years. Mm-hmm. So it was all really, really fast. So, <clears throat> sorry, I'm like going way into stuff. Like, no, 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 no please. Keep going. No, 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 really. Okay. Yeah. I just don't know how much time we have. No, 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 no. no we, okay. we're good. No, 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 yeah. No. Okay. Yeah. We'll make it longer if we okay. have to. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're in this control. Is okay. This is okay. important. This is important. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it all happened really fast. And, um, I was, I was fully engulfed in it. And that friend who introduced me to heroin, um, he actually was robbing houses to fund his addiction. Right. So like I'd go to his house and he'd have like a new TV every other day because he would just break into people's houses. So then like, I don't know, probably a month or two later, I hear that he got arrested and his story is all over the news because they connected all the houses that got robbed with him. him. So he got charged with like 40 robberies, went to prison. So I'm like, well, that's not a good thing to do. Probably <laughs> don't do that. Right. And my primary concern was if I get, if I go to jail, I can't use drugs anymore. Right. That was my mentality. Right. Like I, nothing can interfere. Not even about your life. Just, about just yeah, being I didn't care about again. that. Right. So And throughout my life, I had been involved in court, you know, and like I one time when I was in high school, I tried to steal a scale from the science lab because I'm like, oh, this is a really nice scale. Like I could pawn it and make some money. Mm -hmm. But then I got caught. So I went to 
um, like a juvenile detention center for like a week or whatever. So like I had been involved with law enforcement and you were familiar with it. Yeah. 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 So what was, um, what was like the economic area that you lived in? West Valley city. <clears throat> what, like, was it, you know, below? it was probably mid, I, I don't want to say middle class, but like middle to low middle class, okay. you know? So like I, I wasn't in like the straight up ghetto, but like my neighborhood wasn't super nice mm -hmm. by any means. Um, you know, I, I think the area that I grew up is going downhill even further. Um, but I also think there's areas that are being gentrified. So, you know, it's kind of a, it, it's yeah. natural for a, a neighborhood to go through those ebbs and mm. flows. Absolutely. Um, so my, my friend gets arrested and he has another friend that I had met while going to his house after he had broken in. And this guy's name was Nick. So I hang out with Nick and you know, he's got a car, which in the drug community, you having a car is like, you know, awesome because then you can actually go to get drugs because I didn't have a car because I sold it for drugs. Hmm. Yeah. So like I had nothing. Right. So anyways, starting to hang out with Nick. We're becoming friends. We're hanging out like I see him almost every day because he's like a using buddy. So this is probably um, 2010 beginning of 2010. So we're hanging out every day. And, um, one day he, he had like a girlfriend that was living with my mom who was paying rent. Right. It was a really weird, like Situate, arrangement, yeah. but I got drugs out of it. So like, that was my, <laughs> you know, like it, it, it was all around about drugs. Like it, it's terrible to say, and I feel bad about it, but like literally that was my life was like, where am I going to get my next fix? How am I going to use it? How do I get the one after that? You know, it's funny because you hear that being said when you hear about these stories, but right. hearing it from somebody firsthand, it, it just it's it just makes it real. Yeah. I don't know. It's not yeah. that I didn't believe anybody else, but I I just didn't care about anything else. Like showering didn't matter, girls didn't matter, nothing. Right. Like I just had one focus. Right, one track mind, right. Right. So um the girl who's living with me, we're like, oh, let's let's go to Arctic Circle, right? So my, we hop in my mom's car, we're driving to Arctic Circle, and all of a sudden the girl just starts like crying, like uncontrollably crying. Well, it turns out Nick had died in a parking lot the night before. And um, at the time we had introduced Xanax into our drug using mm -hmm. e escapades, right? So Xanax and heroin is a lethal combination because just the way that it acts on your body, it suppresses your um, central nervous system to where you're not breathing. And a lot of times people have heart failure and die. So um, what happened was he was in the parking lot of his dad's apartment complex and his dad wouldn't let him in. So he's like, okay, I have to sleep in my car. And this was like January 30th in Utah. So it's freezing. So, apparently either on the way to his car or from his car he like fell down because he was so high and he ended up dying of hypothermia oh my God. which is what i was told I, I i obviously don't know the full yeah. details but that was what i was told um so he he died as a result of using drugs mm -hmm. and that was like the first wake-up call you know like my friend going to prison yeah that sucks you know oh well but then him dying was like, Oh my God, like this is real. So, 
I, at the time I would have considered him probably a best friend, but looking back, I'm like, that was a terrible relationship. Like there was no friendship, loyalty, yeah. friendship. Like it was just, it, you can't discern it that was, when you're yeah, high. You it know? was, yeah. it was purpose driven. Right. right. Mm-hmm. So he dies and, you know, obviously my family knows because he had come over and he was a very nice guy. Like we, we did have moments where he was a good friend, but that was very rare. And, um, after that, uh, my parents kind of got involved and said, look, you know, we know that you're doing this. And I, I was back and forth between my parents' houses. Um, you know, I would manipulate one to the very edge and they'd be like, get the hell out of my house, blah, blah, blah. You know, like you need to leave. Mm -hmm. So then I would go to the other parents' house and I would do the same thing and I would manipulate, manipulate. And then they'd say, get the hell out of my house. And then I would go to the next place and it was just back and forth. And sometimes they'd both be so pissed that I wouldn't have a place to stay, right? So that sucked. Can I ask you something about that? Were you Uh like, at the time, were you consciously manipulating them? What I mean is, like, did you feel any sort of remorse or were you so hyper-focused on your goal that nothing... I didn't feel remorse and I probably didn't feel remorse until after I started getting clean. Okay. You know, so like, um, after that, uh, after my friend died, I started looking for programs because my parents said, you know, this isn't working out. You're going to die. You're going to end up in prison or you're just going to keep doing this. And we can't have that. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we need to help you out. So I'm like, okay, cool. So they had found a couple programs and they said, but we need you to call them and like talk to them because this is your recovery, whatever. So I'm like, okay. So, um, anyone who uses drugs knows about Suboxone. So Suboxone is something that people take that, um, I think it's naloxone, which is the, anyways, um, it makes it to where you can't use opiates, Mm -hmm. right? So it blocks that mechanism of action in the brain. And you have to be clean for like 24 hours before you can start it, right? So you have to go through hell for a little bit and then you can start it. I think you might have actually have to be off it for like 48, 48 hours. hours, I yeah. think, yeah. So anyway, otherwise it makes you like severely withdrawal. So, and I've done that mistakenly, which is awful. Mm-hmm. So um, my one condition to going to this program was, will you give me Suboxone? They said, yeah, we'll give you Suboxone. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, well, how much is it? They're like, well, it's $20,000 for 45 days. I'm like, I'm basically homeless. Like, I don't have that money. Yeah. So they're like, well, what about your parents? And I'm like, I don't think they have that kind of money. Like, we're not, like, wealthy by any means. Mm -hmm. So they're like, okay, well, can we talk to your parents? I'm like, sure. So they talked to my dad for a little while. Oh, before that, they said, how much can you afford? How much do you think you can afford? I said, oh, I can maybe afford two grand. I had no clue how I was going to get two grand. Mm-hmm. So they're like, all right, well, can we talk to your parents? And I was at my dad, so they talked to my dad. Um, so they talked to him, and then they put me back on the phone. And they say, all right, if you come today, we'll let you come for 1000 bucks hmm. for the 45 days. So it turns out that I had called at the best time because it was like February 3rd and they only had two people in the program. So they were like itching for money. Mm-hmm. So it just worked out. Yeah. Right. Like that's crazy. divine intervention. A hundred percent. Like any other time it was like literally while I was there, we got to capacity. Hmm. 
So like, it just so happened that I called the day that they're like, we need to pay the bills, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. So I go to this program and it was like vacation. It was incredible, right? So this place like was this lodge, you know, like in Southern Utah, beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they let you smoke cigarettes. They let you drink all the coffee you wanted. You had to go to these meetings and they were just bogus, you know, like I knew exactly what they wanted to hear. Um, they got me off of the Suboxone within eight days, which wasn't part of our agreement. So I was pretty heated about that, but you know, thankful for it afterwards cause mm-hmm. they, they did a taper. So I got off the Suboxone and I was clean. I was working the steps, you know, like whatever. Um, and so I graduate that program and, you know, I felt really bad for all the stuff that I had done because I was an asshole right? Mm -hmm. And I was manipulating everyone around me. So part of working the 12 step program is like making amends and doing all that. So, you know, I, I tried doing it and I, I was valiant in my effort on the front side, but then after about 45 days after graduation, um, I had been living with my grandparents and, you know, the, the boredom of life, I guess, kind of started to set in and those, those demons started calling again. So, Um, you know, what I like to tell people about recovery is it's, it's so much more intensive than 30 days or 90 days or whatever. Like it takes years and you really have to figure out why you're using, right? Because addiction is really a symptom of something underlying. Mm -hmm. Okay. So like if, if someone had been raped as a child and never dealt with it, that would you know, it could be something they don't remember, but it could cause them to use drugs to deal with that pain that they feel or that inadequacy or whatever it might be. So that was my way of dealing with, you know, what I think it was is inadequacy. And I think um, I didn't have a purpose, right? I think that's a really big thing, especially in our generation where people don't feel like they have this goal or this target or this thing that they need to do so they go to what makes them feel good easy mm-hmm. right so um i didn't have that right i didn't know what i was doing i was working at like kohl's um and then i was working at a deli and i was just like miserable you mm-hmm. know and so i started using again and i was living with my grandparents so what um if you don't mind me asking what was it that you started using did, did you go right back went to right back to it i didn't even it was like I hadn't skipped a beat, right? Mm-hmm. So it was it was pretty quick, and um, uh, it, it was worse, you know, like because I had more money now, and like I I had been working for a few months mm-hmm. or like a month and a half, and had money saved up and whatever. Excuse me. So um, I'm trying to keep this cohesive, you know, and like understand. No, yeah, you're doing a very good job. So yeah. Far, so. <laughs> so um, I started using again and I, I fell really fast and I started using and I, I was living probably about 20 minutes away from where I grew up, which, you know, was a good idea on my family's part to get me out of West Valley City, mm-hmm. but it wasn't far enough. Yeah. Right. So like I knew exactly where to go still. Mm-hmm. I knew which street I could get drugs on. So I fell right back into it and um, 
my parent, my grandparents had like found paraphernalia, like needles or whatever. And they said, look, we know that you're doing this again. We want to help you out. We, through um, like my family network, we had heard of this program that was based in Canada. And it was a 24 month inpatient program. You live there, you work there, you like you're committed for 24 months minimum. Some people could be there for three years, right? Mm -hmm. And at the time, um, I was really depressed, right? Because my my parents had confronted me, my grandparents had confronted me, and they said, look, you know, enough is enough. We know that you're doing this. If you don't find a program, you're out. Like, we're kicking you out. Don't call us. Don't call us until you're ready to get clean. Mm -hmm. So they kind of gave me that ultimatum, which I needed. So... Um, I started doing my own research and, you know, the program, they didn't say, this is the program you're going to. They said, look at this, see if it's something you want. If you find something better, let's do that. So I did a bunch of research and through my research, I've stumbled upon this Eric Thomas, the motivational speaker, Mm -hmm. the hip hop preacher, whatever he calls himself. And basically the, the gist of the story he tells Um, And if you look it up, it's like the greatest motivational speech of all time, something like that. He's like in a classroom talking to kids. And he talks about um, there's this guy who wants to be successful. And he meets this mentor or finds this guy who's like financially wealthy, who's like set. He says, how do I be like you? And he says, meet me tomorrow at 4 a.m. at the beach. Guy's like, the beach? Like, I want to be successful. Why am I going to meet you at the beach? Mm -hmm. So he's like, whatever, I'll meet him at the beach. So he shows up to the beach, suit and tie, you know, like ready to go and slay some business stuff. And he's like looking around, he can't see this guy. The guy's like, hey, I'm out here in the water. So this guy's (laughs) out in the water. So he's like, come on out here, I'll teach you how to be successful, right? So he gets him out, he's up to his waist, come out closer, you know, farther, come on, come on out. So he goes up, the water's to his neck, you know, and he's like, what are we doing out here, man? Like, he's like, I'm gonna teach you how to be successful. So he dunks the guy under the water. And holds him there. And this guy's fighting and scratching and kicking. And he's trying everything because when you're under the water and you're, you want to breathe, right? He says, that's the only thing you care about. You don't care what's on TV. You don't care what your mom made for dinner. You don't care what your brother said to you last week. All you want to do is breathe. And he said, when you want to succeed as bad as you want to breathe, then you'll be successful. I have chills. I have literal chills. And that just like... I mean, it's cold in here, but you know, that was... It spoke to me on like a spiritual level yeah. where I'm like, I know I can be successful, but I have to get clean. Like I, I cannot keep doing this and stay alive, mm-hmm. right? So I knew that. So then I'm like, two years. That sucks. I don't want to do that, but I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. So... um Basically, I like started calling up the program and there was a guy, Nick, there and and he's like my brother for life. He was a program director at the time, also a recovering addict. So the program basically is an each one teach one philosophy. So people who are in the program run the program. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's like, you know, someone who's telling you how to recover and live your life has gone through the same shit that you're going through right now. Right. Right. So it's like you listen to him because that was part of my issue with the last place was like, you don't know what this is like. Like, I'm dope sick. This is awful. Mm-hmm. So anyways, I talked to Nick and he's like, 
no, I don't think you're committed and hung up on me. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> like, are you for reals? You know, like I'm ready to go. So then, what about that conversation? Did he he like, fired me up? That was, I, no, I but we, uh, did, did, did you later was, find out why he was like, no, I'm well, I was just I mopey, you. you know, like I was mopey and I was uncommitted and he just saw right through my bullshit because he he was an addict, too. Right. Yeah. So he knew exactly like he's like, oh, you're just doing this for your parents and hung up. And I'm like, no, I'm not. You know, <laughs> like, I swear. <laughs> so anyways. I convinced him to allow me to come to the program, which at the time I was the first American to ever go to the Canadian location. And it's because my, my grandma knew the son-in-law who started the program. Weird, weird connection. Mm. So that was kind of my in. And at the time the program was free, right? It was free for 24 months. So Canada, (laughs) no, it, it's not because of that. Really? So, yeah. So what it is, is at, at a therapeutic community, which is what it's called, people who are there work in like a business that's owned by the therapeutic community. So in Canada, they had what's called Price Pro, which is like a Costco type store where they have a deli, they have a furniture department, mm-hmm. they have, you know, all this other stuff. It's like this business that you run. And while you're in the program, you work in the business. Mm -hmm. So it's really a brilliant concept because as a young drug addict, you don't have those life skills. Hmm. I didn't know how to be a good employee. I didn't know how to be a leader. I didn't know how to confront issues that are bothering me. So all of these things were perfectly tailored for what I needed. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the reason that they're able to offer the program for so little money, and it's changed since that time like mm-hmm. because there's medical expenses that they started realizing that drug addicts have like a lot of people don't have teeth who have been in addiction right. for a long time right so um you know i think the entrance fee is like six thousand dollars for two years which is incredible still sure. i mean it's unheard of i mean twenty thousand for 45 days correct think about that right so that's right. a prime example so my entrance fee into the program was like 387 dollars <laughs> like nominal nominal fee So I go in and the day before I go in, I use a bunch of drugs. So I don't really remember the trip, but like I flew to Seattle and then from Seattle, the CEO of the Seattle location drove me to like Bellevue or Mm -hmm. Bellingham, Bellingham, I think. So then the CEO of the whole organization picks me up at one of his furniture stores in, um, I think it's Bellevue picks me up in Bellevue and we drive across the border together. And he's like, just tell them we're family and that you're visiting. <laughs> it was amazing. Like, so, you know, because you can only visit for like six months at a time or yeah. whatever. So I had to file for visitor status and stuff, but it was just like a fun little story that, you know, he was so committed to helping people change their life that he was willing to come and pick me up. Yeah. Right. So it was just like, you know, he's, he's the best dude I've ever met hmm. by far. And I'll, awesome. I'll talk more about him in a little bit. But, uh, yeah, so I get to the program, and uh, I was sick. No joke. Because at the time, I was smoking, like, a pack of cigarettes a day. So they don't let you smoke there. So I quit heroin cold turkey and smoking cigarettes cold turkey overnight. It's a lot on the body. It's a lot of withdrawal. It was awful. Yeah. Not <laughs> awful. For sure, yeah. So literally... I didn't sleep for the first week because if you think about it, like 
heroin is such a strong downer that it it really puts this tax on your body to where you know when i came off of it i no longer had that right so you have to keep in mind it's this immensely powerful painkiller i i was feeling pain just from like sitting because my body wasn't used to not having this drug Mm -hmm. coursing through my body so like i kid you not like at night my joints would just ache and I would feel this terrible pain um, and I didn't sleep but the cool thing about the program is they're like get up time to go we got to go to work you know and like you get up and like when you first start in the program they have you like cleaning toilets and stuff so you're just like humbled from the beginning right yeah. it's awful so you have like this like almost like militaristic schedule there, there that you're yeah so by? so you have to wake up at 6 30 um you have to be like at breakfast by 7 30 before that you have to like do a chore right so like it is somewhat militaristic in the sense of like it's very structured it's very regimented which as a drug addict you've never lived like that right right? Mm -hmm. like you do what you want when you want to do it excuse me so um i was not used to this at all right but as as i started to you know kind of clear the fog in my mind i realized like this is really good like i need this and i was committed from the beginning but as an addict, you still always have that voice in your mind. And probably for the first year that I was in the program, I still had thoughts like, man, I could just go out and use right now. I could go and like hitchhike down back to, back to Utah. I could be home. I could be done, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and that, that feeling to quit was still there. But then after the first year, I just felt like, man, I've been doing this for a year. Like, holy shit. I can do this. Right. And like one of the cool things that they, they teach you in the program is that, um, I can't remember the line. I'd have to look it up, but it's, uh, Oh, the power to succeed lies within me. Mm -hmm. Right. So like you would, we would literally have like chance. So like in the morning you would say it and there's this whole thing. I, I I don't know it off the top of my head anymore because it's been so long, but Mm -hmm. you would say it in the morning, in the afternoon, and at night before dinner right and we'd all say it together as you know brothers because there wasn't females in the program at the time so we would all say it and it's just super powerful and people who would be there would be like crying because it's just this awesome thing Mm -hmm. and like you start to internalize that right and the things that we would say in there are like um you know i'm gonna watch out for my brothers i'm gonna you know the power to succeed lies within me um (coughs) success is my obligation you know like so you take this this hardcore accountability for your life, which I feel like has been crucial in my success because once you realize that you're, you're accountable for yourself and if you're unhappy with your life or anything in your life, it's your fault, Hmm. right? If you're not happy with your business Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it's your fault. If you're not happy with your relationship at the end of the day, it's your fault, right? What can you do to make your life better, right? And once you have that mentality, everything changes. Because if there's something you're unhappy with, you you know that it's up to you. Right. So get to changing it, mm-hmm. right? So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of the recovery story. And uh, while in the program, I kind of worked up the ranks you know, they had leadership roles within the organization. So you'd become a family leader, right? So you'd be in charge of your little house of guys. 
and you'd be in charge of making sure the chores get done. And if something didn't get done, it was your fault. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> like it, it just reinforces that accountability. And then they had um, like a student council presidency. So um, through the program, you know, it really teaches you organizational skills. It teaches you how to lead people and lead by example. So, um, you know, if you if you wanted to motivate someone to clean a bathroom, you'd be like, come here, let me show you how to do this. I'm going to do it with you. Right. Like mm -hmm. it, it teaches you how to be a good leader. Um, so through that, I was able to um, move up to the student council president role and then from there to the acting program director because Nick had moved on. So um, now I was in charge of the program there in Canada and um, learning a lot about leadership. And through that role, I got to spend a lot of time with John Vulcan. So John Vulcan was the founder of the program and um, extremely humble man who became immensely wealthy from United Furniture Warehouse. So he's a German immigrant who immigrated to Canada when he was like 14, rags to riches story, was cleaning dishes just so that he could eat and was cleaning pig stalls so that he would make like 15 cents an hour. Like just crazy story. Um, entrepreneur of the year. He won in like 1995 or something. So like really super successful dude. He grew his business to like 120 million annual in sales. So like just dominated the furniture market, ended up selling the business. He put $100 million into the John Vulcan Foundation, which is his charity that operates. Um, he has Lift the Children in Africa, which operated at the time like 90 orphanages. So wow. he would he would pay to, wow. really cool what this guy's awesome. done. Um, so he operates the orphanages and then he also has um, this program. So mm -hmm. um, donated all of his money to be able to help people out. And he always talks about, you know, I never felt like this money was mine. Like God made me wealthy because he knew that I would do good with it. And unless you're going to do good with it, you're not going to get it. Right. So it was really, you know, like mm -hmm. money and being able to give was always like kind of connected in my mind. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if you really want to be successful, you need to be willing to give away what you have. So, um, do you give credit to, um, you know, the program and, and what you went through to, your success well not your success is because of you but you know the foundation that you learn absolutely of, of structure mm -hmm. absolutely yeah because i'm still very disciplined right mm -hmm. like i've i've always been well i mean before the program i was not disciplined but since graduating i've been very disciplined in a lot of things and i've realized that the things that work you need to you need to duplicate that right mm -hmm. so like one thing that i do every single night before a work day you write a list, right? I write a list. I why did I know that? I probably posted it on Instagram or something. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. But I go a little I go a little further than that. So I write out my goals every single night and then I plan my day based on how am I going to achieve my goals, right? So you guys have some goals up on the board. <laughs> every single day I'm thinking about how am I going to achieve my goal, right? Mm -hmm. And it's very important to do that because when you're constantly thinking about it, and you're visualizing what your life looks like when you've achieved that goal, mm -hmm. the likelihood of it happening is like tenfold, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're constantly thinking about it. You're constantly thinking how you're going to do it. Mm -hmm. Because when you're committed to a goal, we both know that it, it happens, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, there there is a lot of things that 
that discipline and structure really influenced my life in a very positive way. Um, what year did you uh, come out of the program? So I graduated in 2012, November 21st, 2012, I believe. I'd have to double check the date, but I'm pretty sure that was it. So seven, you're seven years clean. Is that right? Actually. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's more than that. I, I don't remember when I... No, it was 2010 that I graduated. No. Uh, honestly, I, I don't recall. <laughs> I, I mean... Yeah. I know that the day I went to the program was October 15th. Yeah, so it was October 15th, 2010. That makes sense because I, I was clean October 10th or October 15th, 2010. Mm -hmm. So October 15th, 2020 is going to be 10 years sober. That's right? awesome. Yeah. yeah. So Congrats. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. So, you know, it's been a... It's been a wild ride and it's been fun. There's been ups, there's been downs. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, sometimes people ask me, like, if you could go back and change any of it, would you? And I don't think I would because I don't think that I would be the person that I am today had I not experienced all of those things, right? Mm -hmm. um, so we, um, like, towards the end of the episode, we like to ask questions okay. that we, we sure. posted. Um, I have some in my head that I remembered because they're on mine. Sure. Um, the one, it, it just reminded me of something you said. And the one person asked, um, besides anything to do with drug use, what is one regret that you have? Um, Th throwing questions at you now. Yeah, no, that's fine. <laughs> um, probably like selling my, like pawning my brother's. Nintendo DS, mm -hmm. you know, that's like the ultimate, that was his ultimate gift. Mm -hmm. And I just sold it for a cheap fix, you know? So like, that's an awful feeling. I, and this, I think I'll probably answer my own question, but, um, you know, you talked about things that you went, we all, we talk about root causes, um, actually a lot recently we've talked about everything having a root cause. And sometimes we, as humans, have been through something that we've hidden so far down that we don't realize it, but it's mm -hmm. still the root cause to a lot of issues that we have in the future. Um, and you talked about that and you mm -hmm. talked about having these root causes to why you did that. Um, mm -hmm. was it in the program that you finally dealt with those feelings? Yeah. So part of the program that we, that we really worked on was we would have encounter sessions. Mm -hmm. So encounter sessions were all different, but Essentially, if you saw someone doing something that either wasn't allowed or was a addictive type behavior, right? Mm -hmm. So if someone like stole something or whatever, right? You were required as your like brotherly duty to pull them up, right? And a pull up would be like, Becky, check yourself. And you would say, thank you. And I would tell you what you did. And I would state your behavior that needed to be corrected. And you were required to correct that behavior immediately. So if you had a piece of gum in your pocket that you had just stolen, you had to go and put it back. Hmm. And then when we would go to these encounter sessions, we would address those behaviors that we went, you know, that we had seen or had done mm -hmm. during the week. So through that process, you would have this really a, a lot of self-reflection, right? And I think the biggest thing for me was um, I had a feeling of inadequacy for a lot of my life. And I don't know why that was, but, um, 
you know, I think I dealt with that in the sense of like, I know that I can be successful and I can do the things that I want to achieve. And it, it kind of helped me achieve that through just my persistence, mm-hmm. right? Like I, I learned that, you know, it's up to me to do what I need to do to, to win. To get know? through it. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> so, uh, from Canada, right as I was graduating, we had a lot of people coming from Arizona and they asked me if I would want to open a location in Phoenix. So they, they had purchased property. It was like a horse farm. And they're like, do you want to go and be the founding brother of this program? And I'm like, hell yes. <laughs> you know, so I went down and uh, we transplanted three students from uh, the Seattle program down there with me to be brothers, right? Um, like actual members of the program. So they were still in the program. They hadn't graduated yet. So that's how we kind of started with a with a transplant of a few guys. And we had some people come in probably a month after I started it. So it's pretty cool. And then uh, transitioning back into normal life, um, you know, I had grown up as a member of the LDS church. And, um, you know, I think it was a really smart move for me to continue to be a member of the church because they don't believe in drinking. Hmm. They don't believe in drugs, you know, like so those values really aligned with my sobriety um you know so that that was a great move and that's where I met my wife and uh from being in the program you know I had met someone um who was working for that property management company so that's how I transitioned from from there and that was after I got engaged so best choice ever (laughs) she's sitting in the corner yes (laughs) looking great looking great studio audience that we now have (laughs) (laughs) we need like a camera back here to cut to Uh that yeah that'd be hilarious um i have a question inside of that answer um was there any struggle you know with going back into real life this time because i know last time that there was well after the first time you went to rehab so not really because i as the program director in arizona i had a lot of responsibility and i lived in the house with the guys Mm -hmm. so it was almost like the perfect transition because i was in a new area that i didn't know i was still living all of the values of the program right? Waking up early, Mm. working, eating good, you know, like working out, doing all this stuff. So really it was an easy transition because I'm still living the values of the program. I'm there every night. I'm there every day working with the guys. So it was pretty easy Mm. um, making that transition, you know, because, you know, the program really teaches you how to live life, Mm -hmm. right? You work every single day. You are busy, you know, the, the founder of the program always says, um, you need to be so busy that when you're sleeping, you're busy sleeping, mm. right? <laughs> so, like, that's the mantra, you know? Like, we we only have so many hours in a day to accomplish what we want to accomplish, and um, we need to structure our time wisely because eventually we run out. So use the time that you have wisely, mm. you know? So it's, I like that. Yeah. Very good. Next question. So, oh, let me just pull it up. So, I'm going to ask this as a twofold question. It actually came from two different Instagram followers of ours. But, um, so one starts off uh, by saying, um, You're so strong and we're all proud of you, which I thought was worth mentioning. Or, so did Becky. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and and the, 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 the question would be, 
what was the point when you knew you beat it? And the second part of that is, is how do you fight past the urges today? If there are any urges today. Um, I never, I, I don't think I've beaten it. Okay. Right. And I don't think any recovering addict will say that they have, because the minute that you say you, you've won and you're not an addict, that's when you begin your next addiction. Hmm. Right. So like, I, I never will say like, I am recovered. Right. Because I, I don't think that's a place that you can be. Everyone as humans has addictive tendencies. Some are just stronger than others. Um, so yeah, I mean like I, I love caffeine, but it's like, I'm not going to go and sell my shit to go and buy caffeine, you know, like it's just different, you know, like, so, um, I, I don't think that I've won, but I think that I'm, I've changed my life. Right. Like, I think that's a fair thing to say. Like I knew when I no longer craved drugs first thing in the morning that I was changing my life. And I think that's the, that's what has to happen. You can't, you know, you can't continue to live in a house full of people using drugs and get clean. It doesn't work. Right. Because you have one bad day and all of a sudden you're going to go right back to it. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, when you're in an environment and you want to be in an environment where people are making healthy choices, you know, that's when you're on the right path and you're going to be all right. But I, you know, I don't really have urges. You know, it's not really something that I struggle with because I'm just so focused on my goals and my purpose and my vision that I know what it's like to be dope sick. Right. Like I will never go through that again because it is awful. Right. I mean, it's the absolute worst. And I know that, you know, one's too many and a thousand's never enough. Hmm. Right. I'm an addict. Like if I go down that path, I know where it goes. I've been there. I don't want to do that again. That's it's it's asinine for me to to do that. I think that's a better word. word. Great word. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That was the. um, Well, yeah. So we are definitely coming to our limit it's gone well over an hour now okay um what we like to do to end end to because like our second end is asking questions our last end is asking our guests to give a last word of advice okay um actually before that i do have one more question okay because i remember someone reading someone put um what is your advice to a family or friend to be able to help an addict? Mm -hmm. So that's a great question. And as someone who was the program director of a program, that was my job was talking to the parents and figuring out how to help people. And I actually have a rough draft of a book Hmm. on just that, how to help the family member help their son, daughter, whoever, Mm -hmm. you know, figure out that they need treatment. And I think the way that you do that is, it sounds weird to say it, but you eliminate every other option, right? So like if, if I look back at my life and dozens of people's lives that I've helped get into treatment, there's kind of a process to it where the family needs to all band together and say, look, enough is enough. We're not going to allow you to keep making these choices with our involvement. Mm -hmm. Because I would tell a parent, 
why would they change? They have a warm bed, they have food every night, and you're probably going to drive them places they need to go. Mm -hmm. You are literally enabling their addiction, right? So you need to stop that. And whether that's drug testing or, um, you know, whatever the case may be, like you, you have to put an end to that behavior because there's no reason that they would change. So mm -hmm. um, eliminating their options to use drugs would include like telling them if they don't go to a treatment program or get clean, that they're no longer welcome in your house. And the only time that they can call you is if you're calling to go into a treatment program. Because I've talked to parents on both sides of this coin where they say, I stopped my child from using drugs by saying that I'm, we're, we're done. You're either going to treatment or, you know, you're, you're out of here. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side of that is you, you know, you're enabling your child to use drugs in your home. What happens when they die? Which would you rather have? Mm -hmm. Would you rather have them pissed off at you or whatever because you kicked them out or you eliminated all of their other options or would you rather have them dead that's an obvious answer mm -hmm. right so the reality is with addiction you might kick someone out and they still might die that's the reality and you have to face that but would you rather have them die at your house or die in someone else's house right because if they die in your house you will feel guilty for the rest of your life. So let's figure out a plan to talk to that person and help them make the choice to choose recovery, right? Because that's essentially what you're doing by eliminating their other options. Because people, people will choose the, the least discomfort, okay? That's just human nature. So if their life sucks because of using drugs and you can present something that's less painful then continuing to use drugs, mm -hmm. they will choose recovery, right? I knew that a homeless drug addict has a really tough life and I don't wanna be a homeless drug addict. <laughs> so I'd rather choose recovery and start changing my life. So that's a very long answer to your question, but um, eliminating their options and I think communication is key, right? And give the John Vulcan Academy a call because mm. it's a fantastic program. I'm, I'm not, paid to endorse them in any way. I'm just paying it forward because that program changed my life. And um, I wouldn't have met my wife. I wouldn't have the wonderful life that I have now. Mm -hmm. And I'm eternally grateful. So it's the least that I can do is if you or someone you know is struggling, give them a call. They have people on staff who are ready and willing to talk to you. They're willing to talk to the family members and help get a plan. So, yeah. That was good. <laughs> I, th I think I, I want to mention something real quick before we close, because you've mentioned your wife throughout this, and she and I had a conversation before we started recording, and I think that this is important to touch on. She made it very clear that there's a distinction between a person and the addiction mm -hmm. that they have, you know, like right. a person's true self, their core, and the, the behavior that they exhibit while they're right. um, addicted. And you are such a leading example of changing you know for the better that mm -hmm. i think for anybody with doubt that a person can do that mm -hmm. you're you know somebody that that should be listened to thank you and well i mean it's it's true yeah. but yeah. It, i you know i i just yeah i was i was an awful person and not the same person i am today right. in my addiction because i i didn't care about people at all i just cared about using drugs right and so 
you know, people who have that mindset are, they're, they're crazy because they'll do whatever it takes, you know, and it's, it's a terrifying thing. But on the flip side, I will say that you could look at some of the traits, uh, hear me out, okay? <laughs> this is kind of a stretch, okay? And it may be controversial. Like some of those attitudes and behaviors that led me to be successful in addiction could also possibly lead me to be successful in my life now because Absolutely. I have a I burning desire to accomplish the things I want to accomplish, similar to how a drug addict feels that need to go and pursue. I think that that has it's, a lot to do with the person you were right. before you started doing drugs. Sure. You Absolutely. always, you know, you you always had that the that business bur- acumen that burning. And yeah. now, now but, but for you, success. it definitely, you know, you. Right. I mean, but I think. You know, if someone can be successful in an addiction, they can be successful in life because that that determination to use can be used as this as determination to be successful. Mm -hmm. It's all about that mind shift. Right. And you have to change your mindset. Otherwise, you'll just keep spinning your wheels and doing the same thing. But, um, yeah, I absolutely think that, you know, it's a choice. Right. At the end of the day, people say, oh, it's a disease. Oh, it's this. It's that. People choose it, right? And I was choosing it. And I know that I was choosing it. And it wasn't until I realized that there were better options and that I could actually change my life that I got clean because I chose to try and get clean. And it was my choice. It was always my choice. And I, going back to the last question, I think that's important that people have to choose it. You can't force someone into recovery because it's not going to be real. They're not going to dig deep enough. They're not going to uncover those causes of what makes them want to use right right? you have to eliminate that and figure out what it is Hmm. (laughs) so now the final final yeah so so now now the final final words of advice i know that that was just a a full wrap-up of advice but if there was any other points that you know or any other things that you could say that maybe someone needs to hear Mm -hmm. um now's your time (laughs) oh that's tough well, I would say probably the the pinnacle of advice that I would have is that, um, and I've I've stolen this, so I cannot coin it as my own. But if your mind can conceive it and believe it, you can achieve it. Okay, and that's true for everything in life. If you can believe it and you can conceive it, maybe I have those backwards. But if you believe that you can be successful and you visualize it, you can accomplish your goals. And I think that's applicable to anything, right? I mean, I look at Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, and I look at all these people who have been massive, Grant Cardone, Mm -hmm. people who have been massively successful, and I think that is just a person, right? Like we build them up to be these massive people. They are people just like you and I, right? They just have different skills. They have different traits that have allowed them to be successful. Can we learn that? Of course we can. So you could have that level of success if that's what you chose and if that's what you believed you could do, right? So that would be my thing is you can achieve anything that you set your mind to if you're willing to do the work, right? If you're willing to go after it as badly as you want to breathe, you'll get it, right? Because nothing else can matter if that's what you really want. So that's my uh, final advice. That's your final advice. Um, I'm sure after... um, people listen to this that there's definitely going to be questions about okay. the um i don't the what is it called 
therapeutic community. Yeah, the yeah. therapeutic community uh-huh. that you talked of. Uh, so we'll definitely get that information from of you course. and yep. you know put it on our social media and I'll link your um, Instagram and stuff. If Perfect. People, people might have real estate questions for yeah, you because I know I know that you're pretty big in that community of helping and right. educating others to be able because. Right. There's enough real estate for everyone. <laughs> yeah, there is for sure. And um, I will, I will say that you know, if people who do listen have needs for their recovery, you know, like I'm, I'm an ear to help. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I can't, I can't commit to a person that I'll do everything I can to help them. But I mean, I, I will do everything I can to help them. But you know, I'm not going to quit my day job to. Yeah. And go I appreciate into, that. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I, I will help people out if I can. You know, that's it's a part of my my heart and my soul is is helping people out and there's a real joy that comes from helping someone out of a dark place like that you're you preaching know. to the choir yeah. <laughs> yeah. um yeah so thank you so much for taking the time mm-hmm. um for coming thanks for having me over here yeah <laughs> of course um laura do you have any final no, i think i've i think i think that was all right awesome um so thank you guys for joining us for another week um if you're not doing so already make sure to subscribe like comment follow all of the fun stuff yep. uh, smash that subscribe yeah smash that subscribe <laughs> can we Thanks. say that from now on yeah. that's what people say that's what you don't watch youtube I don't that much. She, she's not the social media person is she yeah, I, <laughs> I read the captions yeah <laughs> all right guys have a good night day whenever you're listening to this and we'll see you guys next week <laughs> for the haters, for the haters, come on to it now or later. Whoa, uh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It don't matter what your name is, share your story. We'll be waiting. Uh, uh, uh.